Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes, Kevin Foote on the game. We are broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber, the game hotline. 337-706-0111. On this glorious Thursday morning. We haven't had a glorious Thursday morning in a while or a glorious any morning that we've proclaimed in a while. But, man, what a glorious morning it is. What a great evening in sports it was for most of, or for some of us. For guys like me, and I'm sure there's a fair amount of of us like that, Astro fans that don't pull for the Celtics. Um, Incredible. Come from behind victory last night for the Astros. It looked like their little recent momentum was going to take a little bit of a speed bump. Down 6-1 to one in the eighth and came back to win on a walk-off two-run single by Icky, who most people know was Kyle Tucker, the brother of... Dawson's new hero, Preston Tucker, and uh, the the Tucker parents were in the uh, in the crowd last night. You know, I don't know. I get you know I, who knows, but I don't remember ever seeing them. It seemed like they would have had to have been there, and they they showed them. And Drew Morales does a lot of interviewing of parents and family members, so I, I just don't remember ever seeing them there, but they showed them last night and, and and the beauty of last night. Well, winning is always great, but the beauty of last night is your best hitter, El Pedro Grande, does nothing. He has one of his worst nights of the year, if not his worst game of the year, and 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 you overcame a 6-1 deficit to win 7-6. And um, the Cubs were due to win. The Cubs crushed the ball last night especially Suzuki, and still was not able to win. Now, I, I don't know that I'd ever seen Hughes pitch, and he was impressive to me. Uh, that was not an awful pitch. It looked like Icky, It looked like the Astros were in trouble because they had the bases loaded and no outs down by a run in the ninth. And El Pedro comes up, swings at the first pitch, and Hits it right to this drawn-in infield second baseman who throws a runner out at the plate. But because he's a better athlete than most people think, he was he he he, he didn't get doubled off at first. And then Icky was down one-two. And and the one ball was borderline. You know, had been called a strike before for sure. So it was um 
it, I was like, man, are they about to blow a bases loaded, no out situation down by a run? Um, and 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 I thought Hughes made a good pitch, and Icky just did a good job of singling it to center, and and Bregman beat the wrap at the plate and on a bang bang play, and great 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 victory. Then once that game is over, I find out that the Heat beat the Celtics. Uh, I mean, I mean, you want to talk about tremendous. Can't, I can't get much better this time of the year. Astros down five in the eighth and win, and the Celtics get beat on their home court. Just tremendous. Tremendous. You know, we were talking, and I guess we were. a lot of us maybe were misinterpreting what they meant, perhaps. But this idea that that the Heat had a 3% chance of beating the Celtics. I mean, we talked about how just totally preposterous that sounded. Um, you know, what I, what these people say, what the players say after the game, like what do they, like some of the posts, do, is it always like this? And I'm just maybe paying attention to it a little more, but like these comments of, in every round of the playoffs, after a Celtics loss, it's we weren't ready to play. We weren't focused. Well, what are you? What are you doing, then? Like, how can you not be focused for a playoff game? Oh, we looked past them. We weren't ready. We didn't practice them. What? It's the playoffs. That is just strange. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Well, I, I know no one's going to feel sorry for me, but. Man, I need some counseling right now. I told you that we can't get nobody out. Okay, okay. This is this is this so is open, a perfect situation. Because look, in the last sec, in the last hour, they were talking about um, sports movies, and they brought up Fever Pitch, which it took me forever to get you to watch Fever Pitch because it made fun of the the old Devil Rays in there. It went, that was back when the, that you know before the Rays became one of the most winning franchises in, in baseball over the last 12 years or so. But it's so real. The beauty of baseball is last night the Rays suffered one of the worst losses that you can suffer. They were down to one out, down to one strike, and had a three-run lead in the bottom of the ninth, give up uh, – um, a home run to a young catcher that most race fans have probably never even heard of. And then you get a two-run to tie it. Then you get a two-run lead in the 10th, and you blow it again to a to a complete jerk. So it's rough. But the beauty of it is you get to play. Not only do you get to play tomorrow, you get to play at like noon today. Oh, I understand that. But what happens if when it happens again? <laughs> What happens if it just? I didn't even get a full day to recover, and we do it again. Imagine if you had, if you were a football fan, and those 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 teams never play. And imagine if you had to wait two weeks to play again. I mean, look, you 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 you're more of a baseball historian. When is it too early to start making trades? Because the time is now for me. We we. we <laughs> I mean, we have. I mean, Jason Adams. He has no confidence. I mean, if you saw him Sunday when he thought he blew the game, 
He didn't even look back. He just dropped his head in disgust. And then when he realized that Siri made the catch on judges, well, he, he was so relieved. So, I mean, that to me, that tells you he has no confidence. You know, I mean, he's just hoping. No, so look, you, you know, I, the, no question. Is, as good the as the Rays now. are, they are they they're like this man. This cat right here is a Saints fan and a Rays fan. I mean, injuries, injuries, injuries. That's all. It's just everything is injuries. If if I think I'm OD'd on injuries, this cat right here, he's a Rays fan and a Saints fan. That's all you have. Here. Injuries, 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 injuries. I I don't know, but I'm but but people don't understand how important a bullpen is. Oh, I mean it's 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 everything. Oh, and I mean so especially especially when you especially for a team like the Rays who rely so heavily on their bullpen. Yes. Because we don't we don't have our starters go deep. We don't care how good you are. We don't allow you to go deep. Well, now we don't have starters and we don't have a bullpen. <laughs> That's a bad combination. At least you scoring <laughs> runs. Last year you weren't even scoring runs and you had that a lot of the season. Well, that's true. That's true. And well, you still made the playoffs. Make me feel better by getting a win today, because and I, I don't want it to be close. It needs to be one of them games that you don't like. But I, I need I need one of those games today. All right. So, um, like, I don't even I didn't see who's pitching today. Uh, man, I don't. I mean, I don't even know. Honestly, I I, I don't. I couldn't even look at it because we're oh, and maybe Taj. It's Bradley. Maybe it's Bradley yeah, coming yeah. up. Because um, I know they're calling him up and with the chance to to stay in the rotation because we have no pitchers. Everybody's hurt. What about the Mets, now, Dawson? Who's pitching for the Mets? It's Megal. I mean, you got. I mean, you know, he's okay at times. He's not like a dominant pitcher. So, um, no. Look, well, you need you need to win that game. I definitely need a win because I can't have any more nightmares about people who are not even hurt getting hurt. This cat- I had a nightmare two days ago about. Uh, Shane McClanahan getting hurt while throwing a pitch. I, I just I can't. Look, I can't get happen. it. We're talking about a team that's that's thirty two and twelve right now. I just think we can probably just we, we're okay. You know what I mean? Just a couple of deep breaths, go about our day. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but no. And, and look, I, I know, and that's why I said nobody's gonna feel. And I get it, but think about how the Yankees were last year. Yes, when they were running away and they had a huge lead in the division. Our whole division is so good that. The Yankee are the Red Sox are in last place, and it's still not even a double. They're not even behind us double figures. So it's that's the only reason why is that yeah. it can all use as good that we've done can be undone by, with a with a bad stretch. Absolutely no. It, well, first of all, it's too early to even look at the standings. That's not oh, till I June the first, and so to think that anybody's going to run away and hide. I mean, every hundred years you get like the eighty four Tigers that do that, but that that's just not going to happen. Look, it, it it's it, you you're, you you need to be concerned. You're right to be concerned. You're right to be having nightmares about your ace pitcher getting hurt when every other pitcher you have is getting hurt. You know, ta- you mentioned Taj Bradley might be the key to your season. Oh, I, I didn't want him to be sent down anyway. So I, I mean, I'm hopefully he gets to stay. But I mean, this is I don't know, but. If, uh, I'm going to need counseling. Just letting y'all know. Well, the beauty of baseball <laughs> is they playing again today. If you get a win, it'll make you feel better. Well, I hope so. Oof. All, well, all y'all right. have a good one, guys. Take care. No, look, it's it's every day. Now, every day except Thursday. Man, I don't, I don't know if anybody else is like, like the Astros. Like, they're off every Thursday, but they play every other day, which I, you know, I like. But – 
and the Astros, they are they they might be setting some sort of record of wins before a day off. I mean, there's a lot of things I like about the current Astros situation, but that's one of them. Like they do an incredible job of winning the game before they have a day off. And so that way you get to savor it for two days. Just awesome. Just awesome. Because, again, that's the only downside to this we play about every day thing is sometimes you don't get to savor a win as as much. But um, that's okay. I'd rather – it's but nothing is worse than losing a game and you don't play for two weeks. Oh, that's the worst. That is the worst. And so it's – uh no, that look. I don't. It, the Rays are twenty games over five hundred right now, but again, that's it's not even June yet. It means it means some, it's nice to you want to pack as many wins as you can. It doesn't even it doesn't even mean they're going to make the playoffs. I mean, we we it's a long, long, long way to go, and nothing nothing is more frustrating than having a bad bullpen. It's really bad. And I know the Astro fans got spoiled. And I know the Astros have had, you know, some rocky, you know, some rocky start. Montero and some other people have not pitched well at times. Their bullpen is still among the best in baseball, yeah, if again, not the look, best. Look at last night and look at the I mean, you get a rough outing from your starter and your bullpen goes shut down, which sets up the big comeback. I mean, second straight is- game. They they just strand tons and tons of runners and keep you in it and they and the bats came alive and Jake Myers hit a ball like 400 something feet he crushed it Jake Myers is now a major league outfielder again unbelievable we'll take a timeout and be back this is footnotes on the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana's sports station your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. That song would be perfect for the perfect theme song for uh, the movie Fever Pitch. Because sometimes you are a victim of the love that you have for your for your team, kind of like Eric was just, look, I, I get it. I've been there where you, you wake up in the morning, you had a nightmare, and like your ace pitcher got hurt. And like you wake up, and you're like, oh, man, I'm glad that was a dream. I'm glad that wasn't real. Of course, sometimes it kind of foretells stuff that is real. All right, welcome back. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111. As we referred to in the first segment, the Heat beat the Celtics last night, 123-116. to Jimmy Butler had 35 points, 5 rebounds, 7 assists, and... It's interesting because the Heat just keep winning. I mean, I say defense. They gave up 116 points. It's not like they held them to 90 or something. But they play good enough defense. They muddy up the game. And Jimmy Butler, Adebayo had 20 points and eight rebounds and five assists. You know, both teams had six players at double figures. So it wasn't like 
you know, there there was no depth displayed for the Heat. There was some, but the Heat had 46 points in the third quarter. Outscored the little Celtics 46 to 25 in the third quarter. They beat them from the three-point land. They had 16 threes, and the Celtics had 10. Celtics outscored them seven in the at the free throw line. And even though the end of the game was different, when you look at the box score and the final score, actually very similar to game one of the Western Conference as well between the Nuggets and the uh and, and the Lakers, kind of kind of, kind of similar type box scores in terms of um, the three-pointers and the free throws and, and, and how the game went. A lot of similarities there. And so we'll see how, you know, it seems like even more than just the fact that one was at home and one was on the road, it just seems like this loss is more – troubling more of a troubling sign at face value and maybe some of my heart speaking but I think I think my just if you take your heart out of it I I think this is more troubling for the Celtics and the Lakers loss was troubling for the Lakers long term yeah and a big part of that is where where it took place you lose a game at home if you're Boston and um, the other thing is if you had this game I wouldn't say in control but you were in a great spot in the third quarter up by 12 points with 1055 to go and you got outscored by 24 the rest of that third quarter you end up going from up 12 to down 12 in 10 minutes of game time but I think a lot of it though also has to do what we were talking about earlier this week I think more people have the perception that the Lakers have a fighting chance to beat the Nuggets, and not a lot of people were given. So the Heat, much of a chance in this series. A lot of people thought this was going to be. And so to get beat on your home court in game one, I mean, that has to be pretty alarming. Right, which, I, I again, I kind of fought back against that idea because I, I thought there was too much emphasis put on who these teams were in the regular season for a long stretch of time. And, again, those analytics that take that into account – Look at what's ha- – we've got enough games in the postseason now, right? Everybody's played around, what, 15 games or so? We can look at the postseason as more of a, an example of who these teams currently are. It's right. not like the NFL playoffs where even when you get to the conference championships, it's like we have one or two playoff games to base things off of. So you still have to think about who these teams are in the grand scheme of things. In the NBA playoffs, the playoffs are almost their own season. So, like, in these playoffs, Miami's been just as good or better than Boston. So – They've I, I been more consistent than for the sure, which it didn't necessarily mean I I thought Boston, and I still don't know if I think Miami's going to win the series. But the idea that they were these huge underdogs within this series, I know within the grand scheme of the playoffs, they've been huge underdogs. But within this series, like matchup for matchup, they have a good chance to win the series. I mean, they're good. they're they're playing as well as anybody is right now. I'm sure there were people here and there all over the country that kind of mocked and laughed at, like, why are we spending so much time talking about these playing games? These games are irrelevant. Like, that, they're not people aren't going to be able to think that, get away with thinking that, in, in the, at least for the next couple of years. Like, I think this is tremendous for the NBA, especially if the Celtics, well, first of all, it's always, in my opinion, tremendous when the Celtics don't make the finals. But I think this is tremendous for the NBA because the NBA, to me, was the most chalk of any of the major professional sports that we talk about 
And so, you know, look, I would love if it's the Heat and the Lakers. I I really think the Nuggets are going to win it all because I think they're the best team. But even if it's just the Nuggets and the Heat, um, to have two play-in teams in the Final Four, and and if one of them at least or both of them could make the finals, uh, I think that's tremendous for the sport. And I know that the ratings – you know, for those of us who worry about, you know, what the ratings are going to be, I would think the perception is that the NBA does not want it to be the Heat versus the Nuggets because the ratings will be bad. But um, I, I think I love that stuff. I think I think it would it would it would be tremendous. But getting back to what we said, like, like I, I if it happens, I don't think it's good to let that out. Like. If you really were overlooking this team in terms of I wasn't really focused and ready to go, I guess you can say that's the coach's fault. Or, But I kind of think that's more of the leaders on the team's fault. Like there, there, there was a, also heard one of the analysts say this morning that supposedly Al Horford had to stop practice yesterday because they were not focused and they weren't practicing hard enough. Like what? Like those? Like the Celtics don't even deserve to be in the finals if they if all of that is true. And in every round, like, look, you're gonna have games where you don't shoot well. But they're making it sound like, and others who are talking about them are making it sound like they just really do overlook these games. They really do not focus in pride. Like, really? That's just amazing to me. And, again, it's another reminder. Players overlook teams all the time. And I think it's real. And I think it's it's something that came up in the press in the Monday press conference with Cajun and softball. Look, this is Omaha's first ever NCAA regional. I know these girls weren't even born when this process started, but this is the Cajuns' thirty second NCAA regional and twenty four in a row. It's expected here. This is Omaha's first. So I think it's very real. There's so much talk about UL versus LSU. It's a very real thing that that the Cajun players could overlook Omaha. I mean, very real. Like they need to, and Coach Glasgow talked about it Monday, like it's the coach's job to make sure, in his opinion, it's the coach's job to make sure that doesn't happen. And I'm sure, and there's no doubt the coach plays a role in that. But I really think, um, I really think it's the leaders on the team's job. I, I really think it is. The leaders on the team's job to make sure that you don't overlook a team. And again, just because someone says it in a press conference, doesn't make it so because sometimes like I the comment I made when we interviewed coach Deggs on Monday sometimes you just when you know when you're constantly having a mic in your face you're gonna say something just to say it and it just comes out and you don't even really mean it I, I get that I try not to take every little word you know 
and blow it up that someone says, some player or some coach or some GM or something. So I, I get that. But this has been coming up in all three rounds of the playoffs. That if you listen to the Celtics post-game press conferences, like they're overlooking teams, they're not ready to play, they're not focused. Now, Tatum last night in the fourth quarter had three turnovers and took zero shots. In a whole quarter, you wonder how that's possible, but we've seen that quite a bit in this playoffs from different teams where, you know, with with the Sixers, you know, that happened. Something very, numbers very similar to that happened with the MVP. So silly, all that MVP stuff. But, um, no, overlooking teams, I'm telling you, it happens way more often than most than I think some people realize at, and at all levels happens at the high school level happens at the college level happens at the professional level but for it to happen at the professional level in the playoffs is amazing to me and especially as often as I'm hearing this from this playoff that you know they just not they're not ready they weren't focused they weren't they, they're not focused not focused That would just, I don't know. I think that's something that if it's really true and you really believe that, you're better off screaming in the locker room at every one of your teammates than saying that as often as they've said that. Because to me, that look, that just looks bad. I mean, I'm playing a playoff game, I'm buying the seed hype, and I'm not focused to play. That is that that'll that'll um that'll anger you if you're a fan for sure. All right, we'll take a timeout. Be back. This is footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. We'll be talking with Craig Malasa about Cajun baseball and in 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 a bit. Uh, we I know it's been a, a softball heavy weekend, uh, or I should say week because of the regional, which starts tomorrow. Cajuns will play Omaha, as we were just talking to talking about at two o'clock. But it is a big baseball weekend as well with LSU going to Georgia to finish out SEC regular season play and more importantly the Cajuns going and I to Southern Miss just because I think the game is a little more I guess they're in similar type situations but I think the series is a little more important certainly for the Cajuns who were who were still trying to get um, back into RPI relevancy and uh, secure a spot in the top six. And I, I think LSU is going to be fine for the top six. So um, we are um, – we'll see how those two series play out. All right. We have with us Mr. Craig Malonso. How are you, sir? I am doing well. We're on our way to uh, Hattiesburg to watch the Cajuns. So 
Good day. And this is a, um, I, I think, a fascinating series in a lot of ways. One, you and I have talked before about the rivalries and the importance of them, and I, I really think in all the sports that I, I foresee, we all knew going in, even before Southern Miss officially joined the conference, that the baseball part of this rivalry was already it had already been ignited. So we're we're good there. And I think this year helped for Batman's basketball a little bit because of the two games that were there. And both teams won a lot of games in conference play and finished towards the top. And uh, I think in football it's not going to take much longer at all. So uh, this is going to be a lot of fun this weekend, I would think. Uh, absolutely. It kind of reminds me of when uh, we joined the Sun Belt and and the, the the rivalry was already there with South Alabama, and this just brings another opportunity into the league. Uh, I'm not sure I'm happy that it's the last weekend of the year, but happy that we're still playing baseball, absolutely. Yeah, I know that's a great point because I was at the regional uh, when South Alabama and the Cajuns were both at the, at the Baton Rouge Regional and played each other, and it was uh, – and that was – that was the year before. I think you're correct. I think that was the very year before the Cajuns went from the American South to the Sun Belt, and there it it got really testy. And that's where you know this heated rivalry between the Cajuns and South Alabama in baseball was born, and then they became in the same uh, conference, and then it really ignited. So no, that, that's a great point that both of those kind of started a year or two before. So. The other thing that's cool about this series is if you look at the statistics and the things that the Cajuns are strong at, uh, Southern Miss are, are, are pretty strong, strong at as well, and they're obviously on a 13-game winning streak. So take out the rivalry aspect. Just talk about like the, the baseball comparison between these two teams. Well, I, I think uh, you definitely have to give the pitching edge to Southern Miss. Tanner Hall will probably be the Sunbelt Pitcher of the Year. But one thing I've noticed just looking at his stats recently, his last three outings, he went seven, eight, and then seven innings. But they, are, they were against the bottom three uh, teams in the league. Uh, before that, he only went five against James Madison and only three against Coastal. So if the Cajuns are going to win tonight, they've got to jump out quick. And, and, and the same thing, very similar to what Southern Miss wants to do. They want to get on the board quickly. And I think you've, you've got uh, – I think, they, like I said, they've got the edge in pitching. You're, we're playing in a, a hitter's park. It blows absolutely the diff, uh, opposite direction of what we have at the tee. I think you're going to see some home runs. I think you're going to see a lot of base runs. I think you're going to see some high scores this weekend. You know, you mentioned uh, – yeah, they they're certainly have a more dominant uh, hit, uh, you know, ace pitcher. But you look at the Sunbelt Conference stats – um, the Cajuns uh, are second in earn run average. Southern Miss is first. The Cajuns are second in hits allowed uh, by pitching. Southern Miss is first. The Cajuns are um, the best in the conference in, in, in the steals attempted against, and Southern Miss is second. The Cajuns are second or first in the conference in fewest errors committed. Southern Miss is third. So, they're both good at so many of these 
key areas that, like last week, the, the defense really, again, in the sweep with Texas State, the defense was a huge part of that sweep. It might be more difficult to take advantage of those because Southern Miss is good at a lot of those areas as well. Well, that's where the Cajuns are going to have to get on the base path early because if you look at every game that we've played, we have 50 times we, we've got caught stealing. Only 11 of those times have happened in uh, losses, and those were only in seven games. So, yes, you've, but we don't run when we're losing. So the Cajuns have got to get up and get on the base pass and score. And then I think what you're going to see, just like Texas State, you're going to see, you're going to force the errors. You're going to have that throw from the pitcher into center field. You're going to have that throw from uh, short to third or short or third to first base that sails over his head. We're going to put pay, uh, pressure on them, but you got to start out early. You can't let them get in a rhythm. We talk, you and I talk about numbers, and sometimes these numbers pan out, and sometimes we can read too much into these numbers. But one of the things, and this is all your fault. You're the one that brought this up, and and I've been kind of doing a deeper dive into the numbers, and it's kind of been, kind of, it's been very interesting. But the thing that stuck out to me is – I would think that, and maybe this is just a one-year thing, I would think that errors, how many errors you commit, would, would be more reflection of, of how the teams, the wins and losses, and how the standings work out. But if you look at, at, at everyone, I, I would think that stolen bases allowed, if you look at that category, it's amazing how similar the stolen bases allowed category is to the actual standings even more than errors and even more some of the big hitting and, and fielding. Uh, like the, the teams at the top of sto- uh, uh, stolen bases allowed, the Cajuns, Southern Miss, Coastal Carolina, Old Dominion, the teams at the bottom, Arkansas State, Marshall, South Alabama. It's, it's not exactly, but it's amazing the, the, the similarity there. I think that's what, what I was talking about earlier. It's reflective of those teams being that are at the bottom of the standings being behind early in the game, not having the ability to run. You don't want to run yourself out of an inning. Where the Cajuns are, for the most part, have had to leave, or they haven't run in those situations. And again, it's uh, it, it's if you if you really look at the the, the two out situation, the Cajuns are going to try to steal second if they've got to run on first. Some people will say that's running you out of an inning, but even Coach Robe talked about it it's next to impossible to get hit three hits in a row to get that run home. So if you don't have that guy in scoring position, you're not going to score. So I agree with you. I think that the, I think the product of those teams not being, uh, uh, having the lead early on. The other category is pass balls and those both depend on the catcher. And so I think kind of the point I'm making is I think, Having a really good defensive catcher is underrated by some. Some of us typically just focus on like how you can hit and and how good your pitching staff is, which also could be a reflection of the catcher. But I think maybe having a really good defensive catcher is a bigger part of a successful baseball team than some people realize. Yes, Julian Brock is outstanding. I will tell you, that's the one – or the two statistics, pass balls and wild pitches, that I probably disagree with the official score the most. Because 
you know, those guys are sitting up so high or not having to look at it. And uh, I just think there are times that there really should be a few more pass balls. And not just with Julian, uh, but but everywhere across the league. I think uh, catchers get away with a lot sometimes. All right. So how are we... Um, you know, how do you, how do we, how are we supposed to look at what the Cajuns need to do? Is it just a matter of keeping them from getting beat from the home run, or is it deeper than that in terms of what is it going to take for the Cajuns to win one, two, or three of these games? Well, I think part of it is, uh, I think the most uh, important part is not to give up uh, multi, uh, multi-run home runs you can give up the solos and get back on there and, and shut them down but you can't we can't do I, I don't think we can do like we did at texas state and are against texas state in game three we can't walk guys we can't hit guys because these guys are going to make us pay they hit like texas state did last year and again last year we went to texas state's facility and they stomped us it's the same thing this weekend we're going to southern miss it's a different type of ballpark. We have to play smart. And they beat you with the home run. You know, again, it's like going to Troy. It's like going to Texas State. It's like going to Southern Miss, like you're saying. Playing here in Lafayette, it's just a totally different animal, especially this late. And that got proven last week. For instance, the Cajuns swept Texas State, but had that ser- had the exact same thing been done at Texas State, I don't know. That, I don't think the Cajuns would have swept. You know, your home ballpark certainly matters. Uh, To your point, Southern Miss is hitting 282, um, and they've got 67 homers, and they have one guy with 18 homers and another one with 12. Yeah, you know, we look at the team, and you you would have thought that Coach Rowe was the pitching coach or the head coach here when that stadium was built because it's meant for pitchers' part. Southern Miss is not that way, and you're going to see some long balls this weekend. All right. It should be lots of fun. Get started tonight at 6 o'clock. We appreciate your time, as always. Y'all drive safely, sir. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. The little MVPs. The little MVPs. Now, a Major League Baseball team that struggles to win games despite having multiple MVP winners on its roster. Also known as the Los Angeles Angels. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote. And footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Two footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. The game hotline is 706-0111. Something with all the talk about Cajun softball and the baseball series and one of the big news items from the week that we didn't hit on this week was the NBA draft lottery with this cat, Victor Wambanyama. We've been hearing about him. 
And you know me, I I don't know anything about Victor Wimbenyama other than the fact that he's seven foot five and he's from France and everybody's been talking about how great he was for a while now. I am anti hype machine. So for Pelicans fans, I'm sure it was not good news that the Spurs won and are getting him. Because, well, although divisions don't really matter in the NBA, we've talked about that. But, you know, you it's still in your region and your conference and your, you know, all of that. And I know the Spurs haven't been real good lately, but if the guy, if this guy's is what they say he is, then they're going to be good soon. Uh, then there's also, well, you know, I know they're bad now, but it wasn't that long ago that they were, you know, one of the dominant teams in the NBA and they don't need another great player, Tim Duncan-ish type player. And supposedly this guy is going to be way above Tim Duncan. I, Again, you know me, I'm anti-hype machine. And so for me, I think it's great that he's going to San Antonio because you can only hype up a San Antonio player so much because, one, they, they don't, you know, especially if their old head coach continues to be. I don't know how long he's going to be the head coach there. He's he's already like 75 years old or something. He's in his 70s. So, but just because where they are, not a, a non-media market, that they're not gonna, they're not gonna just where you get where you just get sick of hearing about him. Nothing to do with the guy. He might be the greatest guy in the world. It's just enough, you know. It's kind of like we were talking. I was joking about Spears. It's like, yeah, he's, he he went to Tulane. I got nothing. You know, he seems like a nice player. Enough. Okay, I'm tired of hearing about this guy. Um, but this guy, I mean, they're they're comparing him to Lou Alcindor. And LeBron James, that's who they're comparing him to. Huh. That's not, you know, there's no pressure there. Just Luol Cinder and LeBron James. I mean, you know, that's a lot to live up to. It's just, you know, it, it's, um, he's 7'5 and can do everything, supposedly. I mean, I, I've seen highlights. I certainly have not seen him play. I, 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 I'm not a big highlight guy. I, I don't. You haven't caught any of the French League games? No, live, uh, I've never seen person? him play. So what's your gut feeling? Is he going to be, I don't know, what's an example of someone who was talked about? Uh, Porzingis is the is the comparison. Our guy yeah, 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 yeah. That's the comparison. Yeah. He was telling me that, and I've heard that a couple of times. Um I'll say this, I've never, and I guess we say this sometimes, and, and now sometimes it's just everything gets hyped up more. I've never heard this much hype around an athlete. Like, the way that it was when the draft, even when Zion, even when the Pelicans got the number one pick, and it was good, you know, they were obviously going to take Zion, there was still this like, you know, well, he's most likely going to be going to New Orleans thing. Like, when they announced the first pick, Brian Windhorst is there in France going, you're a spur, how does it feel? And it's like, they still didn't technically pick him yet, y'all know that, right? Now, obviously, they're going to, and there's been other situations, but I've just never heard this much hype around a player. Well, like, t- 
Tiger, there was a lot of hype from the time right. he was a kid, and he came and he delivered. And LeBron, and I LeBron, mean, there yeah. was incredible hype, and he delivered. And that's why I think the people who are critical of LeBron, I don't think they get it. Like Jordan didn't have that kind of hype. Like Jordan was, he won the he he hit the shot to win the national championship as a freshman, but he was like the third best player on that team at that time. So it, it I, this is incredible if he comes close to doing what they say. So, you know, and again, when 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 Lou Alcindor, Kareem came out, it was just the the hype machine was just different. The you know, there was no ESPN or anything then, you know, it wasn't the same. So, I think it's a great thing for this kid that he's going to the Spurs is my point. And so it's um he, you know, if he'd go to like the Knicks or the Clippers or the Lakers, I mean, that would just be it would all it would just be overwhelming. And I also think it was good for LeBron that he started out in Cleveland. You know, better than starting out in New York or Chicago or no, that that bad. So we'll see. I, I think that I think it's a good development for him and for sports and for me not wanting to root against him which is what typically happens with the hype machine. One hour down, another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on this glorious Thursday. I said it's glorious because... Astros down 6-1 last night, came back and won 7-6, and the Celtics lost. So for me, that is glorious as we broadcast live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction simulcasts on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. Again, the game hotline is 337-706-0111-706-0111. We talked a little Cajun baseball, Southern Miss uh, series with Craig Malosa. Yesterday, we talked about LSU and Georgia and where LSU stands going into this final weekend game start today in Hattiesburg and in Athens. And the LSU game could be heard right here starting at 4.30 pregame. Remember, Georgia's in the East east Coast, in the Eastern time zone. And so, what you know, a 6 o'clock start for baseball is a pretty normal thing. But when you're a Central team playing an Eastern team, then that means the game starts at 5. So pregame starts at 4.30, which is a little earlier than we're used to. But that's okay. Um, again, 4.30 pregame, 5 o'clock, or right around 5 o'clock our time. First pitch, LSU, Georgia, you could hear it right here on the game. So we'll see, you know, normally that, that day one game goes well for LSU. It's games two and three that have gotten dicey at times. So we'll see how that series plays out. I don't know that we did it on the air. Sometimes when we have these baseball discussions, I don't, I can forget whether they're on there or off the air. But I brought up the point, and you made a, a good point that, you know, should the Cajuns do this weekend pitching starting pitching staff 
or starting rotation-wise, what some teams have been doing against LSU, which is trying to avoid the other team's ace pitcher by pitching your typical game one or Friday night starter, or on a, well, in this case would be on a Thursday uh, night starter, uh, in games two maybe, and avoid the matchup. You know, um, Craig brought up Tanner Hall. You know, he's a guy for Southern Miss – Pretty dominant-looking stuff. You know, he's 10-3. and three. He's got a 2.70 ERA. He's not a heavy strikeout pitcher, a good strikeout pitcher, but 88 strikeouts in 80 innings, only giving up 61 hits. And so uh, he doesn't walk a lot of batters, only 29 walks in, in 80 innings. Um, does have a complete game. So is that a good enough starter to not pitch, but – you know, we what we've been told, Jackson Izu is going to be the starter. And again, Jack, he's a hard guy to figure. You know, you, if if you're a Southern Miss, and you say, well, let me look at Jackson Nezu's stats, and you say, his ERA is six point eight one. Oh, that don't sound good. And it doesn't, except for you never know which one you're going to get. I mean, at times. He looks like a pitcher that is capable of having a 681 ERA. But at there, I don't know, he's made 14 starts. Is it 7-7? Seven and seven? I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. But, I mean, it seems like about seven or eight of those times he's looked like a guy who could have an ERA in the twos or threes, and including the last outing. Now, I missed last week's outing because – I was covering softball for the Sunbelt Conference tournament, but he pitched really well. Dawson, you were at that game, right? He pitched very well in that game. So you ju- would, would you have been – would you have said, no, I wouldn't do this if they moved Jackson to Saturday? I mean, a Friday or, or no? Well, my point when you brought it up is that I don't know if they really have an ace, to like I, like we're saying with Nezu. I mean, is he that – I just don't know if he's enough of, a, of an ace to feel like – we're going to mismatch ours with theirs because they just don't know if you really have one. So there's just as much a chance as Carson Fluno being as good or better. Now, I do think the bullpen game that you throw, which is right now the third game, until somebody steps into that role, you have maybe a less chance to win the third one. But I just don't know if I'd pick Nezu over Fluno anyway. So that's why I kind of figured just start them as you wanted to to keep them on their normal rest or however you wanted to do it with that in mind. And who they play – I mean, when they would play next, which right now you don't know because it depends on the results of this series, you know, could play into it as well in terms of – and if you remember the beginning of the year, they were keeping Jackson. There were several times that they pitched him not where they necessarily had him in in the pecking order, but for rest reasons. And so um, we'll see how that plays out. Now, you know, Southern misses other two starters – Billy Oldham, uh, six and two with a four six four. You know that sounds like a run of the mill pitcher in college baseball these days. ERA of four six four, um, and so and um, Adams has an ERA of six five seven. So more like along the line of where Jackson's is. So it seems like on paper Hall is the clear cut best starting pitcher probably in the whole conference, but but certainly in this matchup, and we'll see what happens. Now, while the Cajuns enjoy and, and at times play very well 
in a in in a pitcher's park like in like we talked about with Craig in the home games. They do have the ability to hit home runs. I mean, and, and so you know we'll see whether it's um, Marshawk at times can hit home runs. He has eight, and you know that's where stats can be deceiving. How many how many of the long fly balls at the Teague would be home runs? at Pete Taylor Park in Hattiesburg. I would think quite a few. That's kind of what's interesting. They do that in the major leagues now. Where the well guy'll hit a ball and they they'll say, "Well, that would have been a homer in 13 of the 30 parks or whatever it is." Uh that one that that El Perro hit over the weekend, it would have it have been a homer in every park that's <laughs> ever ever had now you know because some up sometimes if you hit it to center field you say well that's a home run anyway well it wasn't in the old polo grounds because it was like 475 to center field or something crazy like that um but but when you pull it like he did you know 450 feet or whatever that's going to be a home run anywhere anywhere you go but um so you know it's I think it's going to be an interesting series just to see how it plays out and Southern Miss has won 13 in a row. That's a huge number, but not like a crazy huge number. Like Oklahoma softball is at what 43 in a row. You know, it's not it's not a crazy number like that. But uh, you know, there probably are a little due to lose. But the Cajuns are going to have to play very well to make that happen. The other baseball series going on right now. Dawson knows infinitely more than I do. So give us an update of what's going on uh, at LSU E these days. Yeah, so the Bengals um, lost yesterday in the double winner's bracket game, which was to clinch a spot in the title game. They lost 8-5 to five to East Central. So they had to go back and play last night, and they ended up winning 14-9 to nine to eliminate the defending national champions and the defending Region 23 tournament champions, Pearl River. So they now move to the championship game, but they'll have to beat East Central twice. Uh, East Central is still undefeated, so East Central just needs one win. LSUE needs two. That first game of the championship series, I guess you could call it, is today at 3 o'clock. If there's a second game, they're not going to play a doubleheader. They'll wait and play again at 3 o'clock tomorrow if necessary. All right, so you've learned a lot more about junior college baseball this week, covering all these. So do do these any of these other – I mean, do a lot of these other regions just not have any good teams in them? Like it still seems like there's a lot of pretty accomplished teams in this region. Yeah, I mean, th- so the three of the uh, top four teams in the Division Two rankings coming in, uh, of that is everyone in Division Two. Three of the top four were in this regional. So this is, uh, and now I don't, I don't think it's necessarily always this loaded, but there are some perennial powers. Pro Rivers, the last two national champions came from this region. Pro River last year, LSU the year before. Um, every team that was in this tournament. Now this again, this isn't everyone in these regions, but this is everyone that made the regional tournament. Everyone in it has guys that are going to be playing Division One baseball, um, pretty much all for schools that we follow and hear of around here. A lot of guys going to Southeastern, um, UL, Tulane, South Alabama, a couple of guys going to South Alabama, um, some Tennessee commits, Mississippi State, uh, four or five guys playing at Mississippi State next year, played in this tournament. So, I mean, like, it's legit. And, I mean, we've seen several guys running up in the mid-90s on the mound. And we've seen some home runs hit. Like, it's high-level baseball. That's maybe been the biggest surprise to me. I knew these guys were good, and I knew these teams were good, but um, they're playing at a higher level than I was expecting. Before I get to that point, um, Tulane, historically, I wouldn't think they'd go to 
junior college route nearly as much as a lot of other programs, right? Yeah, not not usually. I mean, Tulane's known as, as well for recruiting kind of the East Coast and the Northeast specifically, um, and also kind of just countrywide. But um, Jacob Moore, actually, an LSU reliever, LSU E reliever, who came in by the way the other day, came in with the bases loaded, one out against Pearl River in a two in a two run game, and threw one pitch, rolled a double play ball, got him out of the jam. So he's been impressive. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Also, though, Tulane going through a coaching change, so maybe some changes in philosophy is a part of that. Do you have a sense of does LSUE have deeper pitching and that's about to pay off for them? Yeah, I think so. Now, the interesting thing about it is that LSUE's given up runs in every game. They haven't had like a dominant, great pitching performance, but every one of their starters has given them length. So they've gotten, uh, in their first outing, it was Patrick Vienne, who's headed to UL next year. He gave them six innings. Even though he gave up five runs, there were five errors committed. That was kind of the most uncharacteristic game of the whole tournament in which LSUE just defensively melted down. But he still battled through and gave them six innings. They got seven innings in their next start. They got six and a third, I think, in their third game. So even though guys have given up runs, they've battled through it. And Coach Willis doesn't have a quick hook with his starting pitchers. That's one thing I've learned even more so throughout this tournament. So the thing is there, they've used a lot of pitching because they've played an extra game now. So that may come into play. Um, but also, now that you're extending this tournament, you're going to start to get guys who pitched at the beginning of the tournament be available again because you've now had three off days since, or three days since the first game of the tournament. So I think they have more pitching than East Central from what I've seen. Um, but you got to win two games, and they only have to win one. So you're at the disadvantage here. And, you know, it makes a difference sometimes. Like last night, J.P. France got lit, but he gave him a you know, he, he didn't just pitch like two innings. Like sometimes these guys get lit. They only go two innings or two and a third or something. And, and then your bullpen really gets taxed. And it's unbelievable the job that, uh, you know, it was kind of like the job that the Cajuns did Sunday where Texas State stranded. I believe it was 15 runners in that game. Last night, uh, J.P. France didn't. Um, pitch well, but he gave them some innings and their bullpen was able to strand, I don't know, 13, 14, something like that. It was a lot of runners. The Cubs stranded a lot of runners. Kind of like if you'd have been watching that game, you'd have been saying, man, the, the Astros should be down by eight runs right now. Really, it felt that way. And they weren't. They were only down five and they were able to come back and win the game. So, yeah, sometimes it is nice when your starter can give you four or five innings even when he's struggling instead of just getting pulled and, and really making it a total bullpen game. All right, that'll do it for this segment. Timeout. We'll be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Kevin Foote, an award-winning journalist, popular sports talk show host, and a man who apparently moonlights as a doctor. A medicine season of a different strand in 12, obviously, because the criminal commissioner decided to inflict them with with the, the host bounty gate silliness. His descriptions of illnesses are extremely concise. A normal strand of a medicine season. It was a different strand. Just out of the blue from Timbuktu and all of this bounty gate silliness. 
Dr. Foot is ready to write a prescription for what ails your favorite team here with more footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111, 706-0111. We've talked Major League Baseball with the Astros. Great comeback win. Our friend Eric called. His Rays had a just a gut-wrenching loss. Lost a three-run lead in the ninth and then a two-run lead in the tenth to the Mets last night. Brave fans. Didn't appreciate them losing that way to the Mets for sure. We've talked about the NBA and the great loss for the Celtics. What a what a great thing! An embarrassing, another embarrassing home court loss. And man, look, folks, it's t- if you hadn't taken the Heat seriously yet, it's about time to start doing that. And I know it wasn't a one time thing, but the little Bucks owners have to be thinking, please lose Heat, please lose. It just doesn't look good. I understand it was a tip of the iceberg and it wasn't all about that one. But if the Heat go all the way to the finals, which is looking pretty good right now, all of a sudden you say, well, maybe that wasn't as bad a loss as we were thinking. Uh, I certainly think that's the case. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. No, I don't think it's the case, Kevin. No, I don't. No, it's going to look bad. Kevin, they were just looking for a reason. Kevin, they were looking for a reason to get rid of him, Kevin. I, 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 I agree with you, but still looks bad. Okay, it does. Kevin, I want to talk, go back to talk to you, which I was talking about the junior college baseball uh, thing going on uh, at that World Series. Kevin, you know, in the day of the portal, I remember Coach Willis was on, and I think he was, you were interviewing him, and he was saying, since the portal has begun, the level of players he's getting in is like a super, super better, like way better. Because, you know, all these teams, they're going, uh, a lot of their, their scholarships, they're giving to, uh, uh, in the portal. So that's less of these hot, really good high school players that are going to the, uh, straight to Division One. they're going to JUCO. Right. No, that makes sense. Yes, sir. And, you know, I mean, look, how much Dawson was saying was going, all these guys are going to all these uh, universities. I guarantee you four or five years ago, you wouldn't have seen that much commits going to all these universities. So I'm thinking, well, I'm not thinking. I mean, you see, is this what it is happening? I think it's going to be more of a case where all these uh, D1 schools are going to be going to get these uh, JUCO players, which are going to be uh, real high-level players these days. But I'm wondering, you know, there's already some people – and Jordy was interviewing a guy yesterday that was discussing this, that at the foot in football, he was kind of projecting that five years from now, there's not going to be nearly as many people in the portal as now, that coaches are going to start to go back to high schools a little more. I, I would think baseball, I don't know if that's going to stop because baseball was already a heavy transfer sport. I agree. So I think it's going to stay, uh, it'll stay the same. And, you know, look, you know, uh, like the cages, I think with football, we're looking at non-power school, non-power, five-power schools. They are what they're the ones that are like training, developing players. Like the cages are a perfect example. Looks like we just develop these players, and when they get real good, you know, they go in the portal and these power five teams snatch them up. 
Well, I think now what it's going to be more of, even more of in the junior college with all these better players going, they're going to be the ones developing a lot more, and you're going to see a lot more JUCO players getting uh, transfers to these, these D1 universities. Like, and look, we, 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 you know, you got to say Coach Willis is one of the best teachers they got in all of uh, junior college. I mean, I mean, I, I think Coach Willis would be an extra coach at a, a D1 school. No, I agree. They've they've done a tremendous job. It's kind of like, you know, the St. Louis Browns used to be for the Yankees. You know, they would, they, you know, franchises like that would, they'd have these players and the pretty good ones, they would just give them to the Yankees so they could go back to the World Series. So it was, it, you know, it's kind of like that. You're right. I mean, it's it's well, kind of frustrating, but it is Royals. what it is. It, it was the Kansas City Royals that did that almost about the Yankees. In fact, it was a... Uh, Oh, what was that uh, basket in the NBA for the Celtics? Was it? A, I think it was also the Kansas City franchise that would go ahead and uh, the Saint, the Saint, the Saint Louis the Hawks. Was that? I think you're thinking of the Saint Louis Hawks. Yeah, the Saint Louis Hawks. Yeah, yeah. that's what it was. Yeah, but, you know, you got to remember back then the Celtics had every had every advantage. Oh, I mean yeah. they did. I mean they had every advantage in the book. I mean they had they had a couple of good players like. Uh, Oscar Robinson was up. Uh, he was over there. I mean, with Kansas City. I mean, uh, Bob Pettit was St. Louis. They had, but they didn't let none of those teams have a multitude of, of good players. They made sure the Lakers. I mean, the Celtics had them all. That's why the Celtics are crooked. And that was a good thing they lost like, uh, last night, Kevin. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more. Yes, have a good day. Thank you. I love it. I love it. It's it it, it, it it's it's fun when um. You have someone who doesn't even root for the teams you do, but but we have one thing in common: both hate the Celtics. <laughs> That's fun. Uh, no, so we'll we'll. Um, I still think, and I and again, I agree. Look, they've been bashing the coach of the Buck, the ex coach of the Bucks, for a long time. Not just people who were from the Bucks, but from. You know, just analysts who are, who are saying they're not good. But it's funny, his name has already come up as a finalist, potential finalist for one of these other jobs. Like, if he goes to the Suns, it's just going to look silly. I don't know. I guess perception doesn't really matter, but sometimes it kind of does. So, we've been talking a lot about, and we'll talk more about softball tomorrow, but I... I'm kind of in, you know, we. I'm kind of in a weird position because earlier in the show we were talking about how you can't overlook people, you can't overlook teams, and so I guess it's okay for us to do it, but I kind of don't want to talk too much about UL versus LSU in softball because technically – they might not play. Now, most of us are assuming they're going to play. But again, at, at that point, if we do a lot of UL versus LSU matchup, when they both have to win, then I guess you could come back. If it doesn't happen, come back and say, you're part of the problem. You were talking about it before the game even happened. Kind of yeah. makes you kind of feel no, funny I mean, about that. It's possible, but I mean, I will. I, I I think it'll even if it doesn't happen. If you get an upset in the first round, I think they'll find their way back to each other. Uh, and the the double elimination tournament in softball too. Just traditionally, your cream's going to rise there. And I think even if 
Even if someone gets stunned in the first round, I think they'll end up finding their way back and playing. But that would obviously that you you don't get that chance to be in the driver's seat if you lose one of those first couple of games. And remember, the Cajuns, even though they've had some disappointments in regional place, you know, since Coach Glasgow has been there, the Cajuns have made the finals of a regional. 14 straight years. Now, again, having to do with our conversation yesterday with Brooke Mitchell, making the finals of a of a four-team regional and making the finals of a six-team regional, the old six-team regional, is a two totally different animals. I, we understand that. But still, they've never had one of the – it's been a long time since they had one of those 0-2 stinkers in a regional. I want to say, what was that, 07, I guess, was the year that, that, that they had that. But um, – so all signs point to them being able to do it. I get it. I was just saying, you know, I'm sitting here on one hand preaching. You can't overlook teams and <laughs> go ahead and doing it. But we'll 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 save that. We'll do more. What's going to happen? And I think the topic, the main topic there. I don't know. You and I have discussed a lot of things. I guess we've discussed this at some point. But some people are just fundamentally against intentionally walking people. And I think the whole intentional walk thing is really, we mentioned that once earlier this week, is really going to come to fruition in terms of a discussion. You know, the Cages intentionally walked a batter from Texas State, and some people were, like, losing their minds. I'm like, it's not that big of a deal. It's okay to intentionally walk people who are really good. It's, it's a sound strategy. It's not a cowardly strategy. It's sound. I mean, I, I used to, I've had a discussion before. I can remember, and I've alluded to this, I can still remember hearing him saying it. Larry Durker, a couple years into Albert Pujols' prime, when he got off to this unbelievable start, I remember Larry Durker on the air talking about if it was him, he would just walk him every at-bat. His on-base percentage would be 1,000, but his, his OPS and slugging wouldn't be that high. They wouldn't be, they'd be the same. Like, you you got a better chance of beating this team if you just walk this guy every time he comes up. And the point being is sometimes it's better to intentionally walk is, is sound strategy quite often. Now, you know, the situation has a lot to do with it, whether you're up or down or how many are on base, how many outs there are, all of that plays into it. The only thing that – and so I will listen to both sides. The only thing I'm not going to buy is if they pitch to Georgia Clark and it's two outs and there's a base open. I just – not buying it. <laughs> Sorry. Too much history there. Just not buying that. So we'll see how I, – I expect that to come up, and we can discuss that more when we talk more about the matchup tomorrow. For now, we'll take a timeout. And then on the other side, we're going to discuss, bring our friend Mr. Tom in to talk about the Preakness, the Kentucky Derby, had a surprise winner. That sets up a Preakness feel that is, I don't know that a lot of people would have predicted. And so we'll ask him, Mr. Tom, that and many other questions on the other side. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us time to talk horse racing. Continue our horse racing discussions with our friend, Mr. Tom. How are you, sir? I'm very good. Well, thanks for having me on, Kevin. All right. So, is this, I mean, obviously the Belmont is normally a really small field, but it, on the historically, is this on, this seems like it's on the smaller side for the Preakness. Am I off base here? Not really. Uh, it, 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 the Preakness rarely draws more than 10 horses. So it's nothing unusual to have nine in this race. So um, does that typically, in your mind, make it easier to wager on than the, than the Derby or no? Well, it, it, I, in a sense, and by the way, it's only eight horses. Yeah. Um, in a sense, it's easier because the horses that are challenging – uh, National Treasure and Mage, let me use both of those because those are the two best horses. The horses that are challenging these two horses, they have to really step up. And I've talked about three-year-olds before. They have to really improve to win over those two horses. And that, in that sense, it makes it easier. But in the other sense, betting National Treasure and Mage may be a short, you know, you may have to take short money. And that's basically it. With the brickness. All right. So I'm sure I've asked you this many times over the years. <laughs> Why do so many Kentucky Derby participants not participate in the Preakness? Because for one thing, they didn't win the Derby. <laughs> you know? And and for the second part is they just got through running 12 or uh, 10 furlongs for the first time in their lives. And a lot of these horses don't come back, you know, the right way. And then you only have two weeks to prep them. So it's real difficult. It is difficult for American horses to get back two weeks and to get back into top form and to run a race that's only 100 yards shorter than the one they just ran. And if you look at the Derby this year, I mean, most of the horses didn't have anything left at the end of the race. So, no, it's not uncommon, and it's difficult to bring them back. And if you win... Of course, you need to go to stall 40 at at, uh, at Pimlico, and you need to be, you know, take your picture and all that kind of stuff. But other than that, it's rare that we get a lot of horses coming back from the Derby. And in this case, we only have one, right? All right. So, in your mind, yeah. you know, you and yeah. most people didn't think this horse was going to win the Derby, but now you got to think it's got a really good chance to be go to the Belmont with a Triple Crown opportunity. Absolutely, but but it, it didn't have a chance to win the Derby. That's that's not right. Maze at the end when they scratched everybody, Maze was a Maze and two fields were the two logical horses to win the Derby when everybody got scratched. So actually, they had two favorites who didn't get bet. That's what happened in the Derby. But, yes, uh, Mays has a much better shot here because even if he breaks slowly, Javier's going to get him into the pace quickly because this is not a stellar field. This is not. With the exception of first mission, first mission and perform, I don't think any of these other horses have a chance. That's That's my feeling about that race. So – is National Treasure, I mean, it seems like that, you know, that seems like a, a good 
bet there. I mean, what, yeah. what do you think of that horse? Yeah. If he if he doesn't go under two to one, he's a good play. But he should go to the front with uh, coffee with Chris and coffee with Chris. I I don't know what to say about that horse. He's going to have some speed, and he'll get up there. But I think National Treasure is the best horse in this race, even with Mays in it. I think that's where the where you end up with one and three probably at the wire or somewhere close to it. So you think. At least half the field's got no shot. No, I don't think so. I like Blazing Sevens, who uh, uh, Brad Cox put in. I mean, Chad Brown put in like last year. He had early voting in this race and early voting won. But Blazing Sevens is really a dead closer. He's got to pass everybody, and that's going to be hard. Uh, Perform, but Shug McGahee's horse won the Tessio, which is a prep for this race. But they were shocked that he ran so well, so I don't know if he can run well again. First mission is Brad Cox. He's got a nice horse. He won the Lexington, but the Lexington was a so-so race. Um, and the rest of them chased the chaos. I don't know what this guy's got in mind. And the same thing holds with Red Route 1, who Mr. Bitter brought out a point the other day. You know, he is capable of running closer to the pace, and if he does, Red Route 1 could get into this. But, Kevin, and of these eight horses, I don't see anything beat those two, person one and three. I is it because they just don't have, they don't have the speed, and, and speed is speed. easier to maneuver in an eight-horse race? Yeah, it's difficult to maneuver at, uh, at Pimlico because the turns are a lot tighter. You need to be somewhere close to the lead, and if you're not, like Blazing Sevens, you have a lot to make up on the backstretch, and it's hard. You know, you've got these horses are not bad. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying compared to the one and the three and possibly the six and the eight, I don't think the rest of them can. And, and Blazing Seven, everything would have to fall apart for him to win. That's it, basically. So, what's the jockey outlook look like? Well, I think Javier's got a good chance to win his second Triple Crown race. I mean, this race here, I think he does. I think with National Treasure. Um, you've got Johnny Velasquez, one of the best in the business. He'll get this horse out on the track, and they'll just have to beat him. That's all. Mays will have to catch him, I think. And Coffee with Chris has got one of the best unknown jockeys in the country. And Joe or Juan, whatever his name is, Rodriguez, but he runs strictly in Maryland. He's really good. Red Route 1, Rosario's one of the best, but he'll have to navigate this horse from way back, and the same thing with Blazing Sevens and Irad Ortiz from way back, and perform, he'll stay way back again with Virgil Lynch. I just, you know, I just don't see anything but First Mission and National Treasure and Mage will be up in the in the pace, up close to the pace. One of those should win. You know, in sports like baseball, we have facilities like Wrigley and Fenway, and everyone would just start – Everyone would be, oh, it would just break your heart if you go. Like, is there really a lot of horse racing people that say, man, if we don't run the Preakness at Pimlico, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to enjoy horse racing anymore. Like, are are they going to still be at this track 10 years from now? Who knows? That's a good question. Uh, if Maryland, if the Maryland legislature can come up with the money, they'll renovate it. If they can't, somebody will demolish it. That's basically the way it is. In horse racing, I mean, 
Laurel's a better track, but it's owned by Frank Stronach. He wants to get rid of Pimlico. There's a whole bunch of politics involved in Maryland that I'm not really familiar with. But again, Pimlico's not in a good spot anymore. It's not a real nice racetrack anymore. And whatever they do will have to come from the Maryland legislature. But, I mean, it's not like a big nostalgia thing, right? I mean, this is no, just pure politics. So. No, if that's what you're talking about. It, it, if they tore it down, I, don't, I think there'd be a, a number of people that would be upset. But versus if they tore Saratoga down, there'd be a million gazillion people upset. I don't think it matter too much. And if, if it was such a big deal, Kevin, the legislature would have done something about it 10 years ago. You know, it's not something that that's just coming off the burner. So why don't they and just move it somewhere else? Then? Somewhere else. Well, moving it is another problem because getting money to build a racetrack that no one's going to show up for except for a big event. Who wants to do that? Who wants to spend money on that? Building a racetrack. Who's going to build a racetrack where people will show up twice a year? No, it's not going to happen. I don't think so. But why can't, in other words, it has to be in the in the Baltimore area? Oh, it would be, yeah. But the Baltimore area is most of Maryland. I mean, but between Baltimore and Annapolis, I mean, there's not a whole lot left. So you've got, if you build it, I guess you can build it anywhere. Remember the argument about Baltimore, the Ravens, they wanted to move it make a new stadium and all that stuff. I think that's still up in the air as well. But I don't know. It's a matter of money, Kevin. That's what it comes down to. For anything, it's a matter of money. All uh, right. Well, we'll see. I, you know, it'll it'll be funny if one of these long shots come through. But like, <laughs> but, but like you say, it doesn't make as much it'll sense be, here. It'll as... be shocking, Kevin. <laughs> shocking. All right. Well, we'll watch it on Saturday. Appreciate your time, sir. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. It's not uncommon here on Footnotes for Kevin Foote's voice and his blood pressure to rise rapidly during the show. The fat guys like you and me need to be watching mop-up time just like the stars do. Sometimes it rises a little too high. That is stupid. Stupid. Not to worry, we have EMT standing by just in case Foot passes out. Back to more Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Still time for another call or two if you would like to get in 70. 70- 60111706011 Again, we've talked NBA, Major League Baseball, college baseball, college softball, lots going on still. We are we officially yeah, this is the 18th. We're so we're kind of kind of just getting past mid-May on the upper half of of mid-May and so it's um getting hotter outside and we'll see how Hot the hitters are going to be both in Baton Rouge and in Hattiesburg after playing a conference tournament in a series against Texas State at you in Lafayette, where where there weren't there weren't a lot of home runs hit, 
There weren't a lot of – well, baseball scored the fair share of runs, but it was more off walks and errors and the, and the like more than it was just a lot of hitting. And in the softball region, it wasn't a lot at all. So I, I'm, I'm expecting more runs scored in the – um, Baton Rouge Regional than there were than there was in the Sunbelt Conference softball tournament. But with that said, mo- all of these teams on paper are better pitching teams than they are hitting teams. I guess the Cajuns is one you can make an argument with. I think LSU is no- the sh- pitching is normally their strength, and it is. And pitching is you know certainly the strength for Omaha if you look at their. Well, they have one pitcher. Like their number two pitcher, she her numbers are not very good. You know, I've never seen her pitch. I'm just judging by her numbers. They're not all that good. Now the the ace pitcher, her numbers are really good. She's got, you know, like I think it's two hundred and seventy seven strikeouts. Like her numbers are really good. Um and an ERA very good. Starts with a one. So you know, LSU's always been a pitch-first team or normally a pitch-first team. The Cajuns have a historical reputation of being a hitting team, but lately they've been winning with defense and, and pitching. So uh, you know, I while I think there's going to be more runs scored, I don't know about tremendously more runs scored in Baton Rouge for the softball regional just because, the um, you know, there's a lot of good pitching. And we'll see how good the, the defense plays with that. Mr. Tom did not sound very, you know, it didn't sound like he thinks there's going to be an upset. So I'll kind of, you know, obviously he knows he's seen all these horses running. He knows way more than I do about it. And I, and it just does seem like, you know, when you're dealing with an eight horse race and sometimes there's less, a lot of times there's less than that. And even in the Belmont, um, You know, you can see why the favorites might win. If Mage ends up winning the Triple Crown, is it going to be like, I'm kind of, normally I'm not for the favorite, but I'm, but I'm kind of hoping Mage wins. But the problem, if they win, I, I'm thinking a lot of people are going to say, like, this is the worst Triple Crown horse winning of my lifetime or ever. And you're going to hear all that kind of stuff. So, But I, I think it would certainly create more buzz around the Belmont. Like, there, if Mage doesn't win, there's not going to be any buzz around the Belmont, it doesn't seem like. Um, so if I'm in horse racing, obviously, if you if you are, you know, have any affiliation with any of these other horses, then you want your horse to win. I get that. But if you're just a fan of horse racing, it seemed like you really want Mage to win this race because with so few horses carrying over, it's just, you know, it's just another race, the Belmont, if if Mage doesn't win, but takes on a whole different meaning Mage does. So I'm kind of saying National Treasure just sounds like a winning horse to me, but I'm kind of also hope Mage wins um, just to keep the buzz going about it, but we will see how it plays out. And then, as we talked about earlier in this hour, we'll see if LSUE can come out of um, that regional that Dawson's been – following so closely and, and and covering, and we'll see how that goes. So still a lot going into a weekend. It feels like Friday today. Is it 
I, today been, should be Friday. I've been sitting here thinking that for a long time now. I keep having to remind myself because I was thinking we were ending the show for the week, but we we got we're another not, show to do. It's just third. This week is dragged on, which normally it, it's the opposite. But to me, it kind of feels like it's dragged on. And um, but I guess from an astral perspective, I look this time of the year during baseball season when people say what day it is. I'm my first thought is okay. The Astros are off today, which probably means it's a Thursday. Or the Astros won game two of the series last night, which probably means it's a Wednesday. So it kind of just depends on where the Astros are in their schedule for me, uh, what day of the week it is. And I guess it does make sense that it's a Thursday because the Astros are all Man, they seem like they've been off like every Thursday for six weeks or something. But uh, but it just, I don't know, it just feels like it's got to be Friday by now. It seems like it's so long since we had this election show for softball on, on Sunday at Lampson. But, and we've been talking about this um, for a while, and yet uh, it's not here yet. But it, it, it is kind of the weekend from a sports perspective, obviously, because t- the Cajuns tonight will be in Hattiesburg opening game one of that series, like we talked with Craig earlier, and LSU is going to be opening its three-game final SEC series in Athens against Georgia tonight. And remember, 4.30 pregame, 5 o'clock first pitch, and you can hear all that action uh, right here on the game uh, as they go into begin the final weekend of SEC play. So I, I think the Cajuns... Uh, you know, I think they're highly motivated. Again, I think this is just a great series on paper. I think Southern Miss is highly motivated. Great series on paper. Should be lots of fun. Now, you know how it is. If your team wins and it's fun, if your team loses, it's not so fun. But I really think the intensity. I covered the. I wasn't in Hattiesburg two years ago, but I did cover the regional. I mean, the not, the series last year, and it was um, a lot of emotion, a lot of anger. A lot of good play, so uh, you know it was it was exciting series and a lot of angst. So that meant there the the teams really cared a lot, which is fun to watch. Y'all have a nice day.